I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, June 23rd, our first show of the summer of 2023. What kind of summer will this be? The week started off the way all of us have been wanting, drier and warmer weather. But then communities across Colorado were dealt destruction, harm, and death with Wednesday's massive storm. Some people say summer leads to slow news days, but I disagree. There is a lot going on, and not only with the weather. This week, we have an excellent panel to sort through everything that is going on. We have David Kopel, Research Director, Independence Institute, as well as Krista Kafer, columnist with the Denver Post. Eric Sonderman, columnist with Colorado Politics and the Denver and Colorado Springs Gazettes, and Tyrone Glover, civil rights attorney. Tyrone, thank you for coming as well. This week on Tuesday, the Colorado Legislature's Joint Budget Committee received updated economic news that the Tabor surplus is now estimated at more than $3 billion, which is up to $800 million more than what state economists had predicted in March. So, David, the headlines all read, taxpayers will get even larger refund checks next year than predicted. Well, hopefully, but there's a legislative session on, on the way, so uh, we'll, we'll see if they take some of that back. The, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights in our state constitution says that government spending can automatically go up by inflation plus population growth in any time, and government spending can rise even further whenever the voters approve. And over the years, they've approved billions and billions of dollars of extra spending. But with our $38 billion state budget, that's as much as they did approve. And so when the state over-collected revenue, they have to give the money back to the people who earned it in the first place. It's interesting that Proposition HH, which would over time eliminate all of the income tax refunds, even though Governor Polis worked hard to get it through the legislature, he's now refusing to say whether he'll campaign for it. And I think that's a perhaps a smart move by him, because once people find out, it's going to be unpopular. Just like uh, four years ago, there was a similar thing to Tabor refunds that lost by a large margin. This would mean if, if HH passes, local governments can raise property taxes forever without any vote of the people. Uh, there is a grave injustice here, and it really comes down to fairness. So the, the Colorado voters wanted this protective device, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, to protect our money, to prevent government from getting bigger, to making sure we have a say on tax increases. And from the, from the get-go, Democrats have hated Tabor and have schemed one way or another to get rid of it, usually through the courts, and they have failed. Now they've found a way through Proposition HH to do that, basically to eliminate over time those Tabor refunds. I also call into question the collapsing of the tiers. So instead of having a tiered give back, you collapse it into a sort of average amount. And I say this as somebody who is a lower income earner. I am more than happy to get a big check, but is it fair? I see here a, a question of fairness, whether it's um, the elimination of, of Tabor against the will of the people, also this collapsing of the tiers to make sure that, yeah, I benefit, but at what cost? At the cost of fairness. And that collapsing happens if HH were to pass. Yes. Eric. Oh, a couple angles here, Kyle. Uh, first off, I think for those who would rather, who oppose Tabor, who would rather keep the money and spend it on government purposes, they're almost a victim of the size of these numbers. If we were talking about refunds of 50, 75, 100 dollars, 
it is far easier to convince voters to give up that refund and let it go to the fire department, uh, the school district, to whatever it is. When you start talking about real money, $1,700, $1,800 a couple, $850, $900 uh, per single uh, tax filer, that is real money. And voters are going to say, thank you very much, I want that money. To Krista's point about tiers, I'm going to disagree with that uh, a, a little bit. Uh, I actually think in a society where the wealth divide is ever increasing, which is the story of our times at the moment, that reasonable steps by government to level that off um, are not out of bounds. Tyrone, your thoughts on all this? And I'll start with the flattening of the tiers. I think Colorado taxpayers benefit from having this flattened um, or this same percentage across the board of state taxes which they pay. We don't have the progressive uh, system like we have at the federal level. So I see this as a way to sort of uh, start evening things up a little bit on, on the back end um, because I don't think that it's necessarily fair that working and middle class families on the front end pay the same exact tax rate as folks that are making much more. As it relates to um, just the size of these refunds. I know myself looking around my community, seeing woefully underfunded schools, crumbling, crumbling uh, infrastructure, looking at like in-state tuition for our state schools going up and up and up. And then now I'm going to get this big check, you know, at, at the next year. Um, I could see if there was some way to even just allocate a certain percentage or a certain amount of that uh, back towards the places where we really need it. I think that it would be, there would be more consensus across the board on whether this is ultimately a good or a bad thing. Okay. All right. It's uh, also been a week filled with a lot of talk of alleged mis uh, wrongdoings in politics. Krista, I will let you pick whatever one you want to start with. There's so many to choose from. I know there is. And, I, I'm, and they're not even alleged, really. They, they are wrongdoings. <laughs> I'm and being so nice. I'm going to give it to uh, the, the top one, really, to Dave Let's Go Brandon Williams, the head of the Colorado GOP, for a number of reasons. Not only has he failed to raise the money, and for the first time in 20-plus years, the, the Colorado GOP has no staff members, that's problematic on a lot of levels. But then he goes after a couple of Republicans simply for believing something that he doesn't believe in, apparently. That's something being free speech. So the, a couple of lawmakers, Republicans, joined Democrats in supporting a lawmaker from another state. And this lawmaker um, had opposed a state's, uh, the, the majority's efforts to ban uh, surgery on, on minors that have gender dysphoria, basically. And I, I agree with the legislation, but one lawmaker who disagreed was very vocal about it and got uh, tossed out of the assembly. Um, it was unfair. That lawmaker has every right to voice an opinion. So Democrats here in the state, as well as a couple of Republican lawmakers, signed a letter saying, we support free speech. We think this lawmaker should not be thrown out of their assembly simply for voicing an opinion with which the majority disagrees. So then it, uh, let's go, Brandon comes in and um, chastises and, and censures these lawmakers, these Republican lawmakers, for supporting free speech. And it's absolutely ridiculous. If you don't like free speech, I don't maybe he had to join the other party. Mr. Williams uh, recently tweeted saying I was a mediocre commentator and columnist. And you I, are. Can, I, I can accept that. Um, but he could only aspire to mediocrity as a, a state party chair here uh, based on the start that he's off to. But let me go in a different direction really quickly. Uh, John Eastman, the 
you know, one of the authors of the legal strategy that Trump and the insurrectionists employed to try to overturn uh, the 2020 presidential election. He did that while he was acting as the conservative scholar in residence at the University of Colorado. So CU now has its fingerprints on some of these emails, on some of these strategies. There are efforts now in California to disbar Mr. Eastman based on the legal advice that he was providing and based on, quite frankly, the in insurrection that he was trying to facilitate. I hope that that punishment um, it, it comes due. Okay. Tyrone. And I'm focused on, uh, down in uh, southern Colorado, the six petitioners who were forging a petition on behalf of one of the, the candidates down there. And our Attorney General uh, Weiser has brought felony charges, so these are carrying potential prison sentences against them. Um, and what really strikes me about this one, uh, you know, Attorney General Weiser did not charge the company that they were working for, uh, did not charge the candidate that um, the signatures were being gathered on behalf of, and rightly so. What I think this really speaks to is just the state of these races and getting folks on the ballot and how they felt like they have to outsource so much. And now we're engaging these companies and these companies are engaging individuals who don't necessarily know the, the, the cut of the folks that they're, they're working with. So hopefully um, this prosecution sends you know, some sort of message, um, whether it be to the vetting of these folks or maybe there need to be some reforms at the legislative level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. David. Well, l lest anyone criticize Eric for coming out that he now identifies as mediocre, <laughs> I would just repeat the words of Nebraska Senator Roman, Husk <laughs> Roman Fresca from 1971. Even if he is mediocre, don't mediocre people deserve a little representation too? Thank you, yeah. David. Yeah, we're behind you. <laughs> and for, for one among the many disgraces, uh, Donald Trump actually confessed on Fox News with Brett Baer uh, to two of the obstruction of justice counts because he basically he admitted that he didn't turn over boxes that were subpoenaed because he said, well, they were mixed in with his clothes and he was too busy to sort things out, which is actually not an excuse for refusing to comply with a subpoena. I'm, I'm sure his lawyers were like, what are you saying? Yeah. Oh, in, in, indeed. That's, that's one of the challenges of, of being a lawyer mm -hmm. for Trump, besides mm -hmm. wondering if you'll ever get paid. Yeah. All right. Uh, this week, the Colorado Supreme Court struck down a new law that lets adults who were sexually assaulted as children to bypass the statute of limitations and bring lawsuits against both their alleged abusers and seek rep reparations. Eric, um, this law was deemed unconstitutional this week. It was. I'm going to try to be quick on this one because I'd like to hear from Tyrone and David as uh, attorneys at our table. We're fortunate to have two of them. As I thought about this before uh, taping this show, it struck me that this is a classic example of where there's a conflict between the law and justice. You would think the two always go hand in hand. In this case, they don't go hand in hand. The law says one thing about being able to do things retroactively and retrospectively, and it was a unanimous court that ruled to that effect. Justice, on the other hand, for these victims would dictate something else. I come down on the side of the justice piece of it, but I you know, don't deny that the law is the law, and we live in a, a country of laws and a state of laws, and that is how the Supreme Court ruled. And it's a tough day to be one of those victims or a family member of one of those victims who thought they were finally going to get their healing and finally going to let their voice be heard. Mm -hmm. Tyrone, please take it away. And I wholeheartedly agree. Um, as a lawyer, there is a bit of a frustration sometimes in that 
you do work within a system that is limited. Um, you have limited redress, you have limited tools at your disposal. And I think that the sponsors of this bill and the people that were for it tried to be creative. They weren't just opening up the, the floodgates to allow for um, you know, lawsuits in perpetuity. You know, they gave a, a, a certain window um, where you could seek this redress, and after that, it would sunset. Um, but even then, I think, and pretty clearly, and I think the unanimous decision from our court speaks volumes, um, it was not constitutional. Your thoughts? I've noticed you looking yeah, through your notes. Indeed. Um, so the legislature failed. Every one of them takes an oath to uphold the Constitution of the state of Colorado. The Constitution's very clear. No law, retrospective in its operation, shall be enacted by the General Assembly, period. No law, zero laws that do that. And yet when this was being passed on the floor, Senator Dylan Roberts said the question of constitutionality of the bill is not, not the purview of the legislature. He ought to go back and remember what he did on the first day of the session when he swore an oath to uphold the Constitution, not to say we don't care about it at all. The, the constitutional rule against retrospective legislation is in our original Constitution. It's been very consistently interpreted by the Colorado Supreme Court ever since, and the law was a flagrant violation of that, which is why you had a 7-0 uh, decision against it. Mm -hmm. And ever since this law passed 18 months ago, yeah. there have been people trying to get cases together, Krista, to... to again, as we've been talking about, try to get some closure. Yeah, people yearning for justice. I think I agree with everyone at this table that there is an issue of justice, of you know, anyone who has ever touched a child, um, and molested a child should be behind bars. Anyone who enabled those people should be behind bars. But as Dave is saying, we have a constitution, we have laws, um, and even though the statute of limitations was not sort of the, the, the focal point of this, I think it's also important that we have uh, a statute of limitations that is respected simply because of, of memory. And I think the older I get, the more humble I get concerning my own memory. Not only do I think statute of limitations is important, but I think it's probably also why those that drafted our Constitution said that we can't have laws that look backwards this way. I think I would disagree that this was just a blatant um, attempt to retrospectively change a law. Um, I think that's ultimately where the court came out as the effect of the legislation. But what this legislation initially did was create a new cause of action that would sunset essentially in three years um, to bring claims based on a new cause for stuff that otherwise I think would have been outside of the statute of limitations for an old cause of action. And what our court interpreted this as is, no, that has the same practical effect as going back and retrospectively changing the statute of limitations. But I think that the notion of you know, trying to be you know, creative with a new cause of action to deliver justice to victims was not one that was blatantly and purposefully just flying in the face of our Constitution. I think that's ultimately where the court came out, and now there's precedent saying as such. But I think that what they were trying to do here, um, they saw a that there was a, 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 a legal path forward, and our court disagreed. Okay. This week has brought a lot of focus on freedoms and rights and a spotlight on what our various communities in Colorado are and what we can learn from one another. Tyrone, I want you to start off this segment. 
Yeah, this has been, you know, Juneteenth was just this last uh, Monday, and now we have it as both a state and federal holiday. Um, and the celebrations and the recognitions have just been great. This is kind of a, a new, not a new holiday, but one that has gotten broader recognition across communities. And there's really been a, a feeling out period of trying to figure out what is this going to be? Is this going to be a big boisterous celebration? Is this gonna be a more sort of reflective day? Is this gonna be a day of, of ed education and a continuance of, of history? Or is there gonna be a hybrid of many of those different things? So it's just been really great to see over the years as it's become more prominent, um, you know, just how it's grown and developed. And I'm really excited to see what Juneteenth looks like 10 years from now. I feel like there was a lot of education going on this week. I feel like more people know are aware of what Juneteenth is and what we need to know about our history. Just this week, I feel like there was a lot of coverage and a lot of questions being asked in conversations. So yeah, David. Well, sure, and one of the lessons from history is, is what, it, what is slavery? And among the, the features of slavery is the enslaved people are always disarmed because if they had arms, then they'd be able to liberate themselves from slavery. And here in the United States, you have groups like the National African American Gun Association or Pink Pistols that'll tell you how important it is right now uh, for racial or sexual minorities or minorities of any type uh, to be able to protect themselves. And in fact, black gun owners have the highest rate of defensive gun use of any racial group in the country because and that, that just shows how important what Juneteenth represents, not only historically, but in the present. Okay, all right, Krista. I think, it's a, I think Juneteenth, in a way, is a lesson that justice unfolds. We'd like it to all be kind of like a, right? But it's something that it unfolds. So slavery had existed throughout uh, the human time frame. Um, it had been everywhere. A little bit of a break in the high Middle Ages where you didn't see slavery, in, at least in Western Europe, but slavery has been a mainstay of, of human transactions for, for forever. Um, and then you start to slowly see in the, the, the 1800s and the, and the 1900s efforts to reimagine all human beings as a brother and a sisterhood in which no human being can own another human being. And so then you have the, 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 a couple of countries that liberate their slaves, America a little late coming to the table, but you have the Emancipation Proclamation, and then you know, two years later, the, some people hearing for the first time, you're free, right? Um, and then you have the 13th Amendment, and eventually you have the Civil Rights Amendment. Um, slavery lingers on in places like uh, in Brazil, for example, and in Africa. Uh, the last country to get rid of slavery was I believe Mauritania, um, in the 1980s. Um, and still you can find people who are enslaved, whether it is sexual trafficking or trafficking in labor. But the fact that no country sanctions um, and celebrates slavery is huge. Before it gets lost, let's also acknowledge that this has been Pride Month. Mm -hmm. And there is much to celebrate on that front. Talk about a uh, nation. Uh, that moved rather quickly on terms of the change of opinion. And yes, there are always going to be holdouts and there are always going to be people slow to get the memo, but uh, public opinion has changed at warp speed on that issue and hooray for that. Now is the time. We're going to go around the table, talk about some highs and lows. You've kind of done some of that, but let's get focused on uh, some of the lows we'll start. And David, you're in Patty's chair. Okay. She always starts it off. I'm so happy yeah. for you to start off with the well, honors this week of something that really irked you this week. 
Well, uh, on June 14th, President Biden said, we have plans to build a railroad from the Pacific all the way across the Indian Ocean. Um, there are no plans for any such railroad, fortunately. It would be very expensive. In a very dangerous world, all the world, including the United States, would be safer with a president uh, who has all his marbles. God save the queen. Dave. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give this to certain pundits out there and, and people who have weighed in on Twitter. Uh, we have a, a, number, a, a handful of people who died tragically in a submersible. Mm. Um, when the submersible was lost and was being searched for, the uh, empathetic, the decent thing to do would be to be, if you're a person of faith, praying for that person. If you're not, um, thinking thoughts of hoping that they would be found and, and rescued. And yet there was a handful of people um, engaging in uh, uh, hateful speech, uh, happy they, I guess they had died or were, could die because of uh, they were wealthy, so perhaps they should die. Um, other people weighing in saying how they wished that certain Supreme Court justices or other people with whom they disagreed had been on the sub. Grotesque, absolutely grotesque uh, statements that you wonder, like, how could you be beyond empathy? Um, you know, what, what the heck is wrong with you? And I'm not thinking the word heck here. Uh, around this table, we often beat up on the Denver Public School Board. I'm often at the head of that parade. There's plenty to beat up on. But let's spread it around a little bit. How about the Douglas County School Board, the amount of money that was just spent litigating something that was indefensible in terms of whether that superintendent should have been dispatched or not is beside the point. You got to obey the law. The Colorado Open Records Law, open, excuse me, open meetings law uh, was clearly violated. And I've been following a lawsuit um, from the Aspen School District where they're uh, suing all the social media companies on behalf of the students, Facebook, Meta, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube. Um, and the lawsuit itself, the seeking of accountability, is largely positive, but it lays out over the course of 40 pages just so much of the negative impacts that all of this has been having on the mental health of our children, of our teens, how it's engagement at all costs, how they're preying on insecurities. Um, it's just really awful at the end of the day, um, just what these algorithms are ultimately designed to do. and the effect that, you know, the increased AI is likely going to have on them as well. So um, was excited about the lawsuit, but after I got to the end of it and sort of really got a sense of, oh, wow, this problem is, is much worse than probably any of us can imagine. Not pretty at all. Nope. No. All right. Something positive, David. Well, with all the attempts to delegitimize the rule of law, um, it's been interesting for the Supreme Court cases we've seen come out in the, the past two weeks. People pretend that there's this like ideological thing of like six on one side and three on the other. But in the past two weeks decisions, we're taping this on Thursday, not one of those decisions broke down along those six three lines. Some were unanimous and some had dissents here and there, but not one of them uh, lined up six three uh, as, as people think of that supposed uh, inflexible ideological line. That is good to see. Um, I want to thank my friends, and I know it's nothing political, but uh, friends, including some at this table, that were so kind to me after uh, the loss of my dog. Um, mm. I'd had my dog for 13 years, and she was my buddy, and um, she died kind of unexpectedly, and she was a great dog. So to anyone out there who is that, um, I guess that, a healing hand for someone who's, who's lost somebody or a dog or a person, um, just thank you. I'm so sorry. Eric. You are loved, Krista. You as are. Is, as, as is your puppy. Uh, 
shifting gears to something far lighter, it's a good week to pop some popcorn. Uh, yesterday on the floor, or a couple days ago on the floor of the House of Representatives, you had a ultimate catfight between Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. I mean, you should have to pay admission to watch something like that, including the use of, I, I think, Greene tagged Lauren Boebert as quote-unquote a little bitch. I'm not sure if I should be saying that on the air or not. And then you have Joe Exotic from Tiger King, who is officially on the Colorado ballot as a candidate for president of the United States. <laughs> Pop the popcorn. Okay, Eric, thank you very much for adding all that. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. Nope. Uh, I've really, coming on, on the heels of, of Juneteenth and then going into Pride Weekend, um, just over the years seeing the celebration of intersectionality coming together, um, you know, two marginalized groups sort of finding common ground has just been really uh, amazing to watch. Um, and so, you know, I'm looking forward to Pride Weekend and even during the Juneteenth celebrations, we saw a celebration of intersectionality, which I think is something that is so important. Uh, you know, folks who have been marginalized or historically underrepresented or uh, you know, suffered from, from oppression, oftentimes have multiple uh, you know, diverse backgrounds and identities and us sort of coming together where we have common ground um, as opposed to always segmenting our differences has just been really great to watch. I think so too. The highlight for me is unity. The unity expressed that I saw uh, by Colorado Springs Mayor Yemi Mobilati and his mayoral runoff opponent, Wayne Williams. They produced a video together where they call on Springs residents to come together and to participate in the civic process in order to share a have a shape a positive future for the city. Um, they're both wearing t-shirts to say, love the city. It sounds hokey, but it wasn't to me. The video shows heart, it's sincere, and I'd love to see more of our leaders show that kind of um, behavior, unlike what you were talking about earlier. Eric, right? <laughs> let's, let's move that way. Thank you, all panel, for coming tonight. Thank you to everyone watching at, at your home, on your TV, or on your device. You can catch Colorado Inside Out anytime by going to pbs12.org or our YouTube page and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm Kyle Dyer. I will see you next week here on PBS 12.